Well, this is one of those shows that I am so excited for because this is an individual who I met online who has been so incredibly kind, probably one of the most competent interviewers I've ever met. I mean, I, I do lots of interviews for book launches and there are people who just get it, right? Like they get inside of your head, they are present, empathic, deeply spiritual and brilliant and they just draw information out of their guests. So now the pressure is on for me because I'm none of those things and here I am interviewing Pierre Quinn. Let me give you a little bit of background before I bring him on camera for you. Um, 15 years teaching higher education. Uh, he's very faith-based. He's been involved in faith-based organizations and nonprofits. He's been a pastor. Uh, Um, leadership development specialist, right? One of those guys who helps you no matter where you are on your leadership journey, grow deeper and more aware and more confident uh, and more courageous in the way you go about leading. Without further ado, now that I made it sound like you can almost walk on water, here's Pierre Quinn. Joseph, thanks for inviting me to hang out with you today. Man, I can't, I can't pay you for that introduction. I didn't even do you justice, man. There's like 50 other things on the sheet of paper. But if I went through that, then we wouldn't have any time to talk. So let's get into it. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's kind of go back. Kid from Michigan, somehow or another, finds his way into a world of teaching others and now kind of a spark plug for leadership growth. How, what's the, What are a couple of the missing steps between uh, I was born to I'm here now. Yeah. So pivotal experience happened for me in high school. I went to a small private religious high school. It was, it was, it was small. I think we were about 20, 25 people in this multi-grade sort of school experience. And I remember uh, one day our, our teacher getting a, a packet, a marketing packet from the Cambridge prep experience in, in Cambridge, England. And she looked at all the students in the class and she said, I think each and every one of you should apply for this summer enrichment program. You were to, you were you were going to spend 30 days at Cambridge University. And she says, I think you should try. And no one else. I don't think anybody else in the class applied or wanted to try. And I applied for Cambridge. I got accepted, got a scholarship for the summer. And this this kid from inner city, Michigan, 30 minutes north of Detroit ends up in England at 14 years old. I turned 15 in England and my my worldview was was really destroyed and rebuilt because I realized that that life was much bigger than the neighborhood that I grew up in. And it was there at Cambridge. I took a class at speech and debate. It was my first speech and debate course ever. Didn't hadn't practiced it. I, you know, spoken in church growing up, but a formalized instruction on on speech craft and debate. That was my first class. And I remember, you know, ended up being one of the, the top debaters in the class. And I remember that final debate and having all 250, 300 kids from across the United States there watching me debate the other top student in the class. And I said, wow, the power of words, the power of a message, the power to help other people. 
And if this is what it's like, then I'm not going to stop here. And that planted, you know, just a little seed in my mind of working on the craft of not just speaking well, per se, but of developing a message to help people get from one place to another uh, in their lives. So I got this fond memory of scones uh, from, from England from my, my teenage years. So scones had not been in your diet prior to going to Cambridge. I got Didn't it. Even uh, you know, I think this is like the ultimate testament to something that you say, and I have come to really appreciate, and that is this courage equals this gap between where you are at the moment. So I call it here, right? Uh, yeah. Where you are at the moment and your calling. And one gets a sense that as you go to Cambridge, where you were going in, I mean, just the willingness Let's take it at the moment when somebody offers you to, you know, apply for this. I mean, where you were and the gap to your calling was huge, and yet you stepped into that gap. And then let's just take it even further. The calling becomes more evident yeah. uh, in your life as you go to Cambridge. Yeah, you know, that that gap, because all of us, I think all of us have this this sense of something more, of something greater, of something deeper in our hearts and minds. And maybe it's, it, it's there because it was, you know, implanted by a grandparent or a parent or someone who watched us growing up, or we just kind of stumbled upon it. But a lot of us, we struggle with that, taking that step to close that gap. So courage is, you know, taking those steps between I'm here right now, inner city kid, grew up playing basketball and going to private school and wearing uniforms, you know, and seeing great people on TV and great people in books. And now there's this opportunity to go to England, a country I knew virtually nothing about, you know, 12 hour plane ride by myself away from family and friends. And some people, when they look at the opportunity, they say, well, it's too much of a sacrifice for me to leave my family for 30 days. It's too much of a sacrifice to be integrated into a culture I know nothing about. It's too much of a sacrifice. And for a lot of us, this sense of calling or where we're supposed to be is never realized because we refuse to step into that gap of uncertainty and unknown. And that's really, that's really, you know, where you're stretched. I know, um, is it Russell Branson from the Virgin companies that says, you know, someone offers you an incredible opportunity, I say yes and figure out how to do it later. And I have my fair share of times in my life where I've said yes. And I have a fair share of times in my life where, you know, I'm wrestling with courage and I did not take an incredible opportunity and I, and I missed out on a chance to even walk closer to the space that I, that I was called to be, that I'm called to, to, to be in. And I want to encourage people from all walks of life, and especially my leaders, and especially, especially my emerging leaders just getting started. The, the growth really happens the more you step into that gap of uncertainty, of unknown, of I don't know how it's going to turn out, or I could completely embarrass myself in the process. But the more you walk in that direction, and, and close that gap, and which I define as courage, closing that gap between here and there, the more you'll fully realize uh, what, what you really wired to be. I, can I can't imagine what life would be like if, had I never taken that trip to Cambridge, had I never stood on that debate stage in a, in a debate hall, had I not been challenged by world-class actors, uh, pushing, identifying that, man, you got some talent here and coaching me you need to tweak this because you're good, but you can walk into a sense of greatness with this talent and being humble enough to go through that process. I can't imagine what life would look like for me now. 
And, and you know, that courage has manifest in so many ways for you, right? I mean, it, it's transformed your life, but it's also yeah. kind of hard to imagine how a lot of other people's lives uh, would be different had you not had the courage. I mean, it's sometimes odd to think that had we made a different set of choices and not demonstrated courage, how might our lives have been different? I, I kind of want to point out one of the ways in which I suspect uh, a lot of people's lives would be different. They would not have had the opportunity to read this book um, or have this book available. So, you know, you talked about your emerging leaders just a minute yeah. ago, and that seems to be in the subtitle of the book. So it kind of prompted me to throw it up on the screen. But this is a lovely book. I've read it cover to cover. It's got about 12 lessons in it. They're very straightforward. This is not an overly chatty book. It gets right to the point, uses some you know, poignant examples of people like Martin Luther King and others. And so tell me a little bit about the epigenesis of the book. I mean, people can get it right there on the website where we've got the banner uh, there, and they can also get it on Amazon or any place good books are sold. Uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about Leading While Green and why why you care about emerging leaders. Aren't, don't you make a lot more money if you sell to people who have a, you know established themselves as leaders? Yeah, so this book came out of my own uh, leadership journey and ensure if I'm if I'm working with or inclined to connect with senior leaders and I, and I love see senior leaders and seasoned professionals as well. Uh, but from my personal experience, I know what it's like to sit in the seat of responsibility for the first time and have no idea what I'm doing and then struggle with being too embarrassed to ask for help. Because for a lot of people, when skills or gifts have been identified, you know, there's this almost pedestal or or sort of elevation that happens and you get a sense that asking for help is a position of vulnerability that you shouldn't be in because you're gifted or talented or skilled which is so far from the so far from the truth uh, so it really was born out of my journey i was a, a congregational leader for several years i was a local church pastor after having spent you know close to a decade in higher education as, as an adjunct faculty member teaching business communication and introduction to public speaking and interpersonal communication, so much theory. Uh, but now I'm in a space with a local congregation that I have to exhibit leadership skills. And in this context is new, it's foreign, it's a different place, it's a diff different culture. And I started taking notes on my journey, my experiences, my highs and my lows. And I started sharing it with other colleagues and someone said, you know, you should really put this into a book. You should you should allow other people to experience this as well. And I went through the process of actually writing, writing a book. I mean, it was it was a unique process because, you know, I love to speak, but I don't I don't always exhibit the patience to sit down and write, to put pen to paper or to put keystroke to screen. And. After I finished it, after I re released it, there were so many people who resonated with this newness, this beginning of the journey. So many people who said, thank you for writing something for me. I'm just getting started. I've just become a senior director. I've, this is my first job. This is my first responsibility. And I'm holding something in my hand that speaks to me and speaks to my journey of where I sit right now. And in the book, you know, I, I try to be as vulnerable as possible. And then collect some stories from history and from more modern narratives uh, relating to the fact that it's, it's okay. It's okay to be, to, to be young. It's okay to start off fresh. I, I quote Kermit the Frog, you know, it's not easy being green, but it's okay being, 
everyone starts somewhere. When you look at your favorite, whoever your favorite is, if you know, from Jim Henson to your favorite athlete to even, um, you know, Carmine Gallo that you've had in the number of leadership experts you've had on the show and speakers and entrepreneurs, everyone starts somewhere. And we're not always willing or don't know how to describe the grittiness and roughness of the beginning of our journey. And so many people want to resonate with where we are now, almost to the overlooking of the potential that's in where they are now. So I, I wrote the book to encourage my emerging leaders, my just getting started, or maybe, maybe chronologically you're not young, but you're sitting in a seat of major responsibility for the first time. That's how I define emerging leader. If you're sitting in a seat of major responsibility for the first time, you're, you're experiencing a learning curve. And the purpose of the book is to help you leverage, okay, you're skilled, you're talented, you're gifted, but you're inexperienced. And how do we move from inexperience to, to impact? So that was really the, the impetus behind writing Leading Well Green. So I have no idea if you saw Kermit appear alongside of you during that, because if so, you are the consummate professional. Like my effort to try to get you out of your mode and just <laughs> Kermit's like on your shoulder. All right. You're just too good. You're too good for the show. All right. Uh, let, let's go to a comment. Um, I think it, it's this is referencing back to when you were talking about the choice that you make uh, to demonstrate courage when you hit that gap. And there's a distance between yourself and your calling. And so Bill Lampton out of the uh, Georgia area said it reminds him of Ogmandino's saying repeatedly that being able to make choices is one of our greatest privileges. Yeah. It's interesting. Privilege and responsibility, those things kind of go together sometimes, right? Like you get a privilege, but then you have to live up to it in some way. So I'm just curious about, you know, you get handed, uh, you know, you I think you, you got using your uh, metaphor of, of, uh, of the bananas, right? The green bananas. I think you, mm -hmm. you continue to go on and suggest that, well, now, you know, uh, you find yourself in a situation where you've been picked, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, how did you get picked and what do you do with that responsibility and, and the choices that are incumbent there? Um, and I, if I remember correctly, in this part of the book, you were talking about your wife and how badly, you you shop for things um, uh, and you're not the one that should be picking the bananas. But maybe you can talk to me a little bit about the choice points and how do you validate that you're here now, right? Like somebody believed in you. Yeah. So there, there are a couple of things here. And I, I love uh, this this perspective from from the, the greatest salesman in the world where you know, you every you have the choice to respond no matter what happens. You know, you could choose to wake up every day and meet every day with love in your heart. You could choose to go that extra mile. You could choose to not give up until you make the sale. Those principles from the greatest salesman in the world. Uh, as it relates to, to leading while green, this, this mantle, this responsibility of being, of being chosen, sometimes we, we develop a sense of false humility. And I think the false humility comes is from us trying to give ourselves a buffer. You know, someone says, you know, you're great at what you do. I really appreciate your contribution. Um, and I, I, I love to see the direction that you're going and we almost try to downplay, you know, I'm not that great or anybody could do this, or we try to even skirt the remarks because we don't want to deal with now that I've been chosen for a responsibility. Now that I've been picked, there comes this tremendous responsibility 
this weight of responsibility that comes alongside of it. And I think we rationalize in our heads. If I keep downplaying it, well, this, when I make a mistake because I've downplayed it, uh, maybe it'll be able to cushion what's what has happened. And that's 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 never the case. So when when you acknowledge that you've been picked for something, this new job, this volunteer position, maybe as the uh, a board member for a company or whatever the responsibility is, there's a few things that are very important. Number one, self-reflection. How do we get here? This is really important. The self-reflection piece. How did we get here? What 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 does the education track look look like? What does the network look like? What do the skills and experience look like that create almost a leadership timeline of being able to identify how we got to this point? And by reviewing that timeline, you can review. Okay, these are the sections of my career, of my hobby, of my training that were leveraged, that were pivoted. This is where I closed the gap and exhibited courage to move closer to to where we are now. It's also important to to have public or private, depending on the context of the relationship, the the acknowledgement of the people who selected you. You have to give, you know, this whole idea of giving people roses while they can still smell them and give credit where credit is due. Yes, you're gifted and talented, and equipped and educated. Yes. But life is all about relationships. And we move from one relationship to another. And it's important for us to acknowledge when people have helped us along the way. It's, that's very key. For a lot of individuals that help us, we can't pay them back, but they often ask for us to, to, to pay it forward. And then I know this is going to make some people uncomfortable. Put the question on the table to the person who, who selected you or to the team that selected you. Not just my own individual timeline, not just a thank you, a sense of gratitude, but pose the question to them. So what, what moved you to make this decision? What did you see in me? And for some, it's, it's going to be potential. We, we saw with a little training, with a little coaching, with some help, mentoring and support, we, we see you two, three, four, five years down the road looking like this or having this particular impact. When you lean into discussions like that, when you lean into conversations like that, you remain highly coachable and highly teachable. Once, when you make that inevitable mistake, because mistakes are coming, they're a part of leadership. The people who trusted you, who put you in the seat of responsibility, who give, gave you the authority will remember this person came to us, they were grateful for the opportunity, they leaned into, they requested the feedback, the training and support. And we know as we coach them and train them through this mistake, which are part of leadership learning curves, that they're going to continue to do a great job. So you need that personal timeline. You need that sense of gratitude. And then you need that sense of, of questioning. What made you pick? What made you select me? And, and I think in this, is, you know, it's another one of the lessons of the book, the benefits of getting things wrong. And I don't want to Go through all 12 lessons with you. People can read that on their own. And what I, I want to back even to the way you started this, this particular answer, which was just your ability to recount the specifics of the greatest salesman uh, book, right? I mean, you just retained those key things. And I, I just wanted to compliment you on that ability and not let it go unnoticed. Um, you know, what I liked about this particular answer is that you're you're essentially saying, we need to validate and we need to work through the critic inside ourselves that says we're unworthy, right? Yeah. And we need to solicit some feedback from the universe, either through our own tracking of our own journey and our credentials and our, how we readied ourselves for the opportunity. And, you know, I'll, we're, as we're quoting 
people, you know, one of my favorite quotes about, about success is the joinder of readiness and opportunity. So, it, it, you know, you got yourself into this opportunity by some magnitude of readiness, which then you're suggesting you need to do some reflection on so that you can see the trajectory. Plus, you're asking them, what is it they saw in you that caused them to make the choice to give you this opportunity? And then you're leveraging that information kind of as diagnostic to what you need to do. And then it sets up this last point that we'll get at from the book, which is that you need then to acknowledge that somewhere along the line, you're going to be making some mistakes and green or ripe or overly ripe, you're going to make some mistakes, right? And so how do you give yourself permission to not let that be destabilizing? I mean, that, that seems to be where you go here in the book. Yeah, you know, it's it's really tough. And it, and I know it's harder the younger that you are because, and, and I know you remember from being in elementary school and middle school and high school, you know, certain things were so important to us. What this girl thought, what that girl thought, what the cool kids at this table thought, what the athletes at that table thought, it was so, so big for us. Then you realize the older that you get that not much of that matters anymore, at least for some of us. You realize, man, the things that I was thinking about back then at that section of my life literally have no bearing on where my life is right now and how it's how it's turned out. Uh, so sometimes we overanalyze. And I know based on behavioral and communication style, a lot of us maybe tend to be more analytical and analytical than not. Uh, but we have this ability sometimes to this propensity sometimes to overanalyze what's going on and even the mistake we overanalyze it we pine over it instead of instead of accepting the the reality that in order for me to close the gap from here to there in order for me to become a mature leader in order for me to impact more people on my journey mistakes are part of the process like failing fast and failing forward the mistake is actually an awesome piece of data to help you realize well Let's not do that anymore. <laughs> It'll help you realize, well, that didn't work. What what do I need to change? Where do I need to pivot? Where do I need to go? Because a lot of our mistakes as emerging leaders simply come from not getting the right feedback. And sometimes we don't get the right feedback because we take things so personally. If you reject my idea, maybe you reject me or maybe you don't think I'm capable enough. But the greatest, the greatest individuals in the world, regardless of industry, lean into feedback, lean into the fact that they're going to make mistakes and lean into the opportunity that comes uh, from those from those mistakes. I believe it's Carmine Gallo and Talk Like Ted that talks about Bill Gates and uh, no, talks about Steve Jobs and how he would prepare for his Apple keynotes and he would pull all of his senior directors together and he would do a version of the keynote and they would literally tear it to shreds. And Steve Jobs would lean into that feedback. It would He would lean into those critiques. He would lean into those suggestions. So by the time we saw the actual keynote live on stage, it was such a flawless presentation, but we don't get the flawless presentation without the mistakes and the critique and the leaning into the correction that, that was offered by his core audience to to bring out a brilliant presentation at the end so mistakes are part of the journey and the more that you lean into the opportunity that mistake making uh brings you uh, 
the more you you get active on that journey to ripening as an effective leader. So, you know, as I look at this, your your trajectory now is to help leaders all levels of development, come to those acceptances, take down notes. There's all kinds of things in your book about these um, yeah. that help them grow and learn. But you're also active coaching uh, and you're actively consulting and you're, I guess, like a lot of the rest of us, not doing too many face-to-face -face keynotes these days, but you're doing your share online and your workshops online. Um, so let's talk a little bit about those four tranches of your life. And then let's get really specific about four nights uh, to clarity and what people will find in that offering that yeah. connects them back to being courageous leaders wherever they are in their, their developmental curve. Yeah. So, you know, early on, I was trying to figure out, you know, in my leadership development journey, like what are, what are the pockets, the spaces and the lanes that I want to play in? And I always thought, you know, I always thought, you know, my, my, my gift and my, my talent is, you know, it's in the speaking, it's in the speaking component of life. And I think a degree of that is true, but I think maybe a greater bucket is the teaching piece. So my professional speaking career came out of 10, 10 to 15 years of classroom instruction and this ability, not just desire, but this ability to take complicated concepts and break them down into layman's terms so that everyone can understand and apply them. So that's what really my, my speaking and training are, are born out of. Uh, so I, I recently started incorporating into my presentations this whole easel pad thing and Sharpie marker because that allows me to, to teach through content and, and through material. So there's this keynote aspect that I love. Uh, I love doing it in person, but we're, we're in Zoom land and, and Google Meet land and Microsoft Team land. Uh, so the ability to to get on a camera and to come with energy and intentionality, but also provide opportunities for re reflection and growth. That's what I do through keynoting. Uh, the coaching element happens primarily one on one for leaders. It's that one on one time. And I tell people there's a difference between a coach and a mentor. A, a mentor is someone that you learn from based on their journey. They're passing on the seasoning of their their leadership journey and you're taking notes on their journey. A coach is hyper-focused on you and your growth. And a coach does not need to be able to do what you do in order to make you better at what you do. I'll say that again. A coach does not need to be able to do what you do to make you better at what you do. There are many coaches in professional sports who are, they're not world-class athletes, but they can bring out the best in world-class athletes. In the consulting space, that's a space where I hang out, where I actually guide and, and coach organizations on how to build uh, leadership development processes for their organization. So not coming in and doing the training, not coming in and doing the teaching, but helping them set up the framework on 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 how to bring all of those together. And then there's the seminar piece and you can make the workshop piece. You can make the argument is a keynote and a seminar or workshop. They're just, you know, different names for different price points. Eh, that may be true, but but I say a keynote is, you know, channeling, turning on the fire hose and pointing it in the direction of a group. But for me, a workshop is, it's interactive, it's dialogue, and we're gonna work through some stuff together. It's not just me and my thoughts, it's our shared experience uh, that we bring to the table. So the keynote space, the consulting space, the coaching space, and the workshop spaces is, is where I hang out. And I recently uh, released a course because, you know, this is what we do in this space and we can't get close to people 
one on one like we used to. Four Nights to Clarity was a course that I recorded at night. I recorded from 11 p.m. to after midnight for four nights uh, the last week of December. And the purpose of the course was to help leaders like me. I know this experience of you stay up late at night. You're looking for some sort of answer. You're scrolling on Instagram. You're on YouTube. You're thumbing through a book. You're surfing the web. You have some leadership challenge or maybe you're just thinking about your team and you're looking for something not just inspirational, but practical. I recorded this course for leaders who sometimes have a tough time sleeping because they need clarity. So this course walks you through your own leadership development process, your own VIP experience, your own training uh, training framework that, that you could leverage. And we talk about in the course how to reflect on, on 2020. We talk, about, we talk about what your team really, really needs from you. We talk about the mantle of leadership. We talk about how to reframe crucibles. And we talk about how to undergird and support the other leaders on your team. So that's my four nights to clarity course. Uh, man, when I recorded it live, everyone loved it live. I, I recorded it from a live virtual audience. So you'll see some of that interaction in the video. It's a video course. And I encourage everyone to check it out if they're looking for greater leadership clarity in 2021, because man, we definitely need it. And and that's available at that website with a backslash at clarity, right? Did I get that one yeah, right? PRCQuinn.com slash clarity. Got it. Got it. There you go. So uh, check that out. And let's, you know, your your website, for those who visit there, uh, they, they'll see all kinds of things. I'm not popping this up because I happen to be on your uh, Leading While Green podcast per se, though I'm very honored that I am. But uh, I'm putting it up here just to show that you know, you have lots of podcasts on Apple Podcasts. You've committed yourself to providing, you know, content uh, via podcasting, and clearly you're providing the Four Nights of Clarity kind of contact uh, content. You've got uh, the book, so there's a lot of resources available there uh, on your site as well. So I just want to make sure that people uh, know to go there. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about the year ahead. So, you know, this issue of clarity and kind of sorting it out. I think there is so much jumble that we encountered, um, in 2020 and it just seemed to keep jumbling and it's still jumbling. What am I saying? It's not like, Whoa, everything's super clear. Now, uh, the calendar yeah. flipped. It's been a, a, even a rocky start into 2021. I mean, how do you, get any kind of clarity when things seem to be coming at us with such level of uncertainty. Yeah. You know, and I share this in the course and then in other places where I share content, you, you might not have, or be in a space where you have complete clarity on the year ahead. You might even have complete clarity on, on your organization or, or, you know, the people that are around you, but what can, what you can have ultimate clarity on, falls into two major buckets. Number one, you can be super clear, super clear on who you are and what you bring to the table. And I think as leaders, no matter what's going on in the world, and there's some crazy stuff happening literally around the world as we're recording this conversation, you can be super clear on who you are and what you bring to the table. That's the first bucket. And I think any leader worth his or her salt and wants to make great contributions to their organization, to the world, is super clear on who they are and what they bring to the table. The other thing you can be super clear on is the direction you want your organization to go. So you might not know exactly how it's going to turn out or how it's going to unfold in the next you know, 11 months, but you can be clear on the direction that you want to go. 
We need to get better in area X, Y, or Z. We need to improve in area X, Y, or Z. And you can set a direction. You can set a course. Now, the details, you know, the, the bumps and valleys on that map, you can't predict those. But you can be super clear. This is who I am. This is what I bring to the table. And this is the overall direction that I want my organization to, to go in and how how I'm going to work to point them in that direction. It's it's so simple, but so important, right? I mean, if we try to have clarity in the murky, we'll not be clear about anything. But if we look in the right places for the clarity, it's right there for us. It's just a function of, of understanding which is which and not getting them confused. But when we're in the midst of it all, right? Yeah. Like I want to be clear about what I'm, what's going to, when am I going to get the vaccine? When am I going to, you know, when am I going to be able to hug my grandkids? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I know I want to be able to hug my grandkids, uh, but I don't have control over those things. And I think that's a maddening, that's what keeps you up at night, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that whole idea of, you know, what's, what's, I don't know who created the adage, but life is 10% what happens to me and 90% what happens, how I respond to it. And one of the things, especially for mental health, and we talk about mental health and psychological safety and emotional intelligence is a big part of conversations, you know, maybe for the last 20 years that haven't before then haven't been a part of, of workplace and even professional life, to be honest. But this idea of, of control, control what I can control, like control what you can control and you know, even that idea of the the serenity prayer, I think it's with Al Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, no, the difference between the things that I can change and the things that I cannot change. So what I can change, I can change my attitude. Okay, we're in quarantine. We're worried about the vaccine, when it's going to roll out, travel. I, I have nothing to do with those schedules and timelines. I can't control how much I exercise so I can have mental clarity. I can control the number of people that I talk to. I can control my emotions and how I choose to respond to, to life. I have, I have no influence on major news media. I have no influence over politics. I have no influence over wall street, but what I do have influence on is on how I respond to when things come, come across my purview. And as leaders in order to gain some clarity and peace sometimes, and I know we're on social media right now, having this conversation, sometimes the best thing that we could do is to unplug, to turn off, to take a walk, to breathe some fresh air, to stare at a tree and and do that exercise, that positive self-talk, that positive self-fulfilling prophecy that no matter where we are in our organization and even in our family, we we will be OK. And well, I, you know, to me, social media is much like a buffet, right? Oh, like, yeah. you know, you <laughs> kind of buffet and you can see those super fatty, bad for you things and you can just get a heaping dollop of it and slap it on there. And if it's good, you come back for more and more and more. And you can also get something that's really quite savory and enjoy it in a way that kind of nourishes you, but doesn't, you know, weigh you down. Absolutely. Uh, I think it is a lot about our our appetites and our consumption of things that social media is just a tool at not at times fabulously transformative. I would have not known you yeah, social media. to me. I would have been worse for that. Uh, people would not have gotten a chance to hear you today. They would have been worse for that. 
but then I could immediately click on some bait and the next thing you know, I could be a, through a rabbit hole and five days later, you can see me still surfing the next recommended video in that, yeah. that space. So I'd love to get your thoughts about maybe I, and for me, a lot of this isn't about the thing. It's about yeah. the choices I make relative to the thing. I think it's a Native American proverb. I'm not exactly sure. I think it's a Native American proverb where a a a grandson is having a conversation with his grandfather really you know about life and the grandfather offers this this perspective to the grandson he said you know grandson there are two wolves inside of you the wolf that is virtuous that you know wants to 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 work hard wants to do things that matter and contribute to the world and i may be butchering this uh, severely but you understand the gist or the idea of it and then there's the other wolf inside of you that is really bent on destruction, you know, seeking the bad things of life. And it's really, if you let this wolf take control, they're really going to tear you down and lead to your demise. And the grandson asks, asks his grandfather, so which one wins? And the grandfather responds, the one you feed the most. Yeah. So I think you know, I first yeah. ran into that from Howard Bihar. In mm. his book, uh, uh, I can't even remember the the book. All of a sudden, about coffee, I should know. And Howard's a bud, and Howard's been on my show. But uh, yeah, it's something about the the. It has the word cup in it, and it's related <laughs> to that. So look for Howard Bihar's book, and uh, it's red. Those are the only things I can tell you right now. Um, but that story had such impact on me. I'd never heard it before until I read it in there. And I think, it, you know, it is why people should reach out and spend time. Yeah. Uh, getting access to things like this, right? I mean, being part of the Four Nights of Clarity, which enables people to actually get some tools to search and feed the good wolf that's inside mm -hmm. of us, as opposed to the more destructive forces in the universe. So want to make sure that we don't miss that uh, in terms of the opportunity. So what's ahead? I mean, I think that's the question that every interviewer is supposed to ask at the very end before I go into the lightning round. What's, yeah. uh, what's on the horizon here for you as you continue to nurture emerging leaders, established leaders, coach them, consult with them, keynote them, workshop them, provide, is there more books? I mean, what, more videos? What, what are we looking at here? Give me the scoop, Pierre. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot of content creation going on because just for, you know, for what you said earlier, and I'm trying to, to, I'm looking to provide more opportunities for people to feed the good wolves inside of them. And sometimes, you know, when there's a, when there's a dearth, when there's an absence, you know, you're liable to feed on just about anything. So instead of, you know, cursing the darkness, you know, how can I light a candle and start stepping into some of those spaces to give people some some hope and some perspective and, you know, some of the healing that they need to be more effective leaders. So you're going to see more video content. You're going to see more live. There's another book in the works called The Journey, The Journey of the Gift, where I, I use my personal narrative and walk you through some self-identification of being able to super hyper target what you're gifting it in giftedness is and how you leverage that in the organizations uh, that you serve. And, you know, you know, for a lot of people who are hanging out, I'm coming to a Zoom call, Zoom training session or Zoom conference uh, near you real, real soon. I did a Zoom conference with you not too, too long ago. What was What did you call that thing? Yeah, man. Uh, 
<laughs> Next Step Summit. That's what. Thank it, you. Thank you. I, I was hoping yeah. you could draw blank so they would counterbalance <laughs> by not remembering the name of Howard Bihar's book, but. All right. Uh, of course you didn't. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's do the lightning round. Is that okay with you? Yeah, let's I'm do it. Sure that, I'm going to keep the the uh, website address up in case people want to go and try to get access to four nights uh, to clarity. But uh, in the meantime, here we go. Uh, could be anything. You, I at least warned you. Some people I don't warn. I like you, so I warned you. Um, all right. The television show Double Dare. Oh, man. Double Dare. Oh, okay. So as a kid... I wanted to be on Double Dare so, so, so bad. It was this uh, trivia show, um, but a big part of the show was these obstacle courses that, you know, young families had to run through. And the best part of being about on Double Dare was being slimed. The host of Double Dare, Mark Summers, who is uh, producer extraordinaire, TV host extraordinaire. I had the opportunity to interview him on my podcast. And it was like, man, I'm interviewing one of my childhood, you know, heroes. Uh, Little so did I know that I was going to get that level of detail on that question. <laughs> Let me go to Michigan Winters. Um, so born and raised in Michigan on the eastern side of the state and then going to school on the western side of the state. Now, there's two different winters. Uh, but, man, I do. I'm going to be honest and I might offend some family and friends on this. I don't miss Michigan Winters. I don't miss <laughs> frozen toes and and scraping off your car in the morning. You know, I want to take my kids sledding to see the snow in Michigan, but that's about it. We're going to have to move to somewhere warm. How about uh, telling me about a day where you only had a wrinkled dress shirt in your closet and vowed to wear a jacket for the entire day? Oh. <laughs> this has happened plenty of times. <laughs> I thought of- I got that rare nugget in one oh. of your 2012 blogs, by the way, is where I got this. So, man, I can't even remember back that far <laughs> what I wrote that day. But I do remember I do remember this happening on several occasions, uh, mostly in grad school where, oh, man, I'm teaching college freshmen communication courses. And there are plenty of times where you know, I'm doing grad school, I'm working two jobs and I'm teaching where I just say, you know what? I, I don't all I have are suits and and. I got a pile of laundry and it's a dirty dress shirt. It's wrinkled. I'm going to shake this thing. I'm going to spray it with Febreze. I'm going to put it on and I'm never going to take off my jacket. You know, there was a, there was a message that you had. Let me tell you what your, what your angle you took on this for the teachable moment, right? It was a lot about how much we cover up, like how Mm. much we cover up the wrinkles and how that is a natural part of who we are as human beings. But really we all have wrinkles. We all have, days where we don't have perfect hair or there's, you know, and and that we have to kind of accept that we have, we're imperfect beings um, trying to approximate greatness. Right. So uh, I don't know. It was just a a lovely blog, by the way, and I couldn't let it go. Last few questions really quickly. Um, Brianna, I think she's Mm. 12. Ella, I think she's around 10. And then Colleen Alexander Quinn. Those are the three last comments. So, Colleen is, uh, she's 40. (laughs) 40. I don't think she wanted you to tell that one. That wasn't necessary disclosure. It's a, we have a, we have a podcast together. So we talk about ages all the time. Uh, So it's my my wife who's from Trinidad and my amazing daughters. My, my whole, my whole family is, is amazing. And I, and I, I cite this in a lot of times in my bio when I'm speaking somewhere that, 
being a a husband and a dad are both my greatest leadership joys and challenges. Nothing stretches me like being a husband and a dad and nothing rewards me like being a husband and a dad. Hmm. Wow, that's chilling and a great place to end. And you'll hear more of that kind of thing, uh, joining him for Four Nights to Clarity, uh, hopping over on that website that you're seeing on the bottom there, you'll get to the Four Nights to Clarity, or you can go, go to the standard website address, which uh, it doesn't have the clarity part on it. Um, and beyond that, you know, you'll be able to you know, get access to his podcasts as well. So I strongly encourage you to, to follow this guy. He's really one of those good people who comes from the heart and from the head and is making us all feed the kind wolves that live inside of us. Let me uh, say a, a goodbye with, with you on the screen and thank you for your time today. And then encourage other folks to uh, join us in upcoming podcast, what was this, live streams? What is this called, live streams? We actually take the and we put it in a podcast, so I guess I was technically right. But upcoming next week, special drop-in guest appearance from Martin Lindstrom. He's launching this book next week, The Ministry of Common Sense. He and I are talking about our recently launched books. So he's kind of interviewing me a bit about uh, Stronger Through Adversity. I'm interviewing him about the Ministry of Common Sense. Can I just tell you the, the insider thing on this? He literally set up a, a, a department in a bank called the, the Common Sense Department. And he chronicles all the things the common sense department did and looked at in the organization, which made absolutely no sense. So you got to check that out. The go-giver, uh, Bob Berg's going to be on soon. Kind of the notion that you have to give as you go. Uh, and if you do, the world works out for you. The space between us. Um, Pierre would probably like this book. Uh, it has a strong spiritual background. Um, it is from a lady who works at Andy Stanley's church. Uh, is on the ministry team at Andy Stanley's church out of Atlanta. Um, she writes about how do we talk to each when there seems to be so much flipping space between us. We're either red or we're blue or we're liberal or conservative. How do we engage in civil discourse? Not ignore each other like, okay, you're in your camp and I'm in my camp. We're not going to talk. How do we find the, how do we reduce the space between us? And she has a background not only as a strong spiritual leader, but also a family member who ran for office in the Republican Party at the presidential level. And she, she talks about the fact of having been in a primary with friends and then people not being able to talk to you because they had to choose sides. And then finally, we're going to have uh, upcoming a great book about personal brand clarity. Uh, Suzanne Tillian actually is my brander. She's the one who's developed my logo, my website, and some of those other technologies that we have in our brand, Trade Dress. And uh, I endorsed this book, which I think is just fabulous, Personal Brand Clarity. Uh, she's written previously on, on corporate brands, but this book, all about personal branding. All right, that's, that's the show for today. I was so honored to have Pierre Quinn. Hope you'll go out to his website, prcquinn.com. Check him out. And in the meantime, thank you, and may you be blessed this week and always.